A very good morning to all of you and greetings once again in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. I bring you the greetings of my local church, Shalom Church. And I'm thankful to meet you again after just a short interval. But I have to say, I don't know most of you. Well, that is not as important as uh, coming to read the Word of God. Uh, if you would turn with me to your Bibles, to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 7. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 7. So I remember that I'm supposed to read from the ESV. So I'll do that. But I apologize that the sermon may be based on the New King James instead. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. Now the sons of the prophet say to Elisha, See the place where you, we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a lock and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he said, I will go. So he went with them and they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling his lock, his ex-head fell into the water and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he had shown him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Well, let us turn to our God in prayer once again. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being the God of providence, the God who guides us and orders all things in our lives. Thank you for being the God of revelation the God who reveals truth to us, the God who preserves scripture for us. And thank you for being God our teacher. So Lord, we look to you now, especially to God the Holy Spirit, to come and to teach us your words and to point us to your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. For in his precious name we pray. Amen. Do you know this hymn? The second stanza of the hymn goes something like this. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eyes is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eyes is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Sevilla Martin wrote this hymn. She was visiting a, a friend one day. That friend was rather sick. She was bedridden. But although discouraged and sick, her sickly friend remembered the words of Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 to verse 31. And those three verses says, And are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. 
but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. So being a poet, Savillo thought that this would be an excellent idea for a poem. She jotted down the idea, and by the end of the day, she finished writing the hymn that is entitled, His Eye is on the Sparrow. What is the name of her sickly friend? We don't know. And as far as we know, she is not someone who is famous or someone of great importance in her day. And yet as a child of God, she was persuaded of the truth that is being conveyed in the last line of this hymn. His eye is on the sparrow, and, he, and I know he watches me. But in the same way, the son of the prophet in our text this morning, he was nameless. And in a very similar way, he could have said at the end of our text, his eye is on the axe head, and I know he watches me. Or to put it in the form of the sermon title for this morning, he cares for me, most definitely. Our text for this morning is 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. If we are now in a Sunday school class, and we need to role play this episode, how many children do we need? Well, from verse 1, we, we know that we need someone to play Elisha. Any volunteer? And from verse 6, we know that Elisha is known to be the man of God. Also from verse 1, we know that we need a number of children, I think there are enough here this morning, uh, to play the sons of the prophet. And among the sons of the prophets, we need one of them to play the person in verse 3, that, that person who say, please, could you go with us? And we need another one, the one that is mentioned in verse, verse 5, the poor unfortunate soul who lost his borrowed ex-head. So have we got all our characters? I think so. But what, is, what are the props that we need? Well, we need to show that we are near the river Jordan, am I right? And, and all of them, except Elisha, would need an axe to chop trees. So everybody is ready to role play, but what is the plot of this story? Well, the plot line is that the sons of the prophets were chopping trees so that they could build a bigger seminary. And one of them met with an accident. His ex-head fell into the water and sank into the bottom of the of River Jordan. He was in deep distress because he borrowed it. And he needed to return it to his owner in good condition. Thankfully, Elisha was there. Thankfully, Elisha was asked to help. And thankfully, Elisha was able to save the situation by means of a miracle. I'm sure our Sunday school children will enjoy role-playing this episode. And all of us adults as well will want to go one step further and we will ask a number of questions, I'm sure. For example, we ask, what is the lesson here? What is the purpose of these seven verses? Why are they here in this part of scripture and would it make any difference to the storyline of the book of Kings if these seven verses were missing? 
Well, to answer these series of questions, uh, let's first ask and answer a very basic question. How should we read these seven verses? How should we read these seven verses? When very normally, when a Christian picks up his Bible and reads a passage like 2 Kings chapter 6, we will start asking questions like this. What should I learn from this passage? How does this passage apply to me? What, what is it in this passage that I should emulate or which I should avoid? And how should my life change as a result of what I'm reading in this passage? Now, they are all excellent questions because they demonstrate our desire to be good disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, we, first of all, we seek to identify with the character in the text. And then we want to see how their temptations and their struggles correspond to our own daily struggle with sin. And finally, we aim to learn from their success or from their failures and then apply them to our own walk with God. That's what normally most Christians would do. Try doing that with our text for this morning. What is the likely result? Maybe your takeaway from the text is don't borrow anything from anyone that you can't afford to repay. Or maybe it is this. Don't try to be overly enthusiastic in volunteering to help. Or maybe it would be, it is never wise to embark on a church building project. Seriously, what is the message of these seven verses? Why is this passage here in 2 Kings chapter 6? Well, let's try again. What was the basic question that we were seeking to answer right now? Well, the question is, how should we read these seven verses? Well, I assume that all of us present here this morning hold to the position that these seven verses is part of Scripture. Since it is Scripture, how should we read them? Well, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Underline, first of all, the word doctrine. Start there. So what doctrine can we learn from these seven verses? Particularly, what can we learn about God from this passage? You see, the Bible's first concern is to make God known. Will you agree? So, so let's start with, with this. Uh, who, who is God as he is being revealed in the seven verses? And what has God done that we are meant to see in the seven verses? Let's start with God. Because when we approach our text in this God-centered way, our focus shifts away from me and from what I should do, which is so popular today. We want takeaways from sermon. Give me three takeaways that I know what to do after the sermon. That's all I want to know. Don't, don't tell me all the deep things. But let's start with God. What, what will this passage tell me about God and about what God has done? Because once I do that, it shifts my, the focus away from me and instead my attention is fixed on God 
and we will finally be led to praise, to adoration, to thanks, to reverence towards this God as we begin to see His power and His goodness and His grace. So dear, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let us move away from a self-centered reading of Scripture. Let's repent of that. And let's reform by taking a more God-centered approach to read our Bible. Well, so how should we read this passage? We should read it in a God-centered way. So what can we learn about God? from these seven verses. So that is our now urgent question we want to answer right now. What, what, what are the things we can learn about God? Well, at least three things. Number one, He cares for lowly me. I want to start with Psalm 138 verse 6. Psalm 138 verse 6, the first two lines says, Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly. Psalm 138 verse 6 talks about God as the Lord, as Yahweh. So He's the covenant-making God. He's the covenant-keeping God. He is the God of the Exodus. He is the God who led Israel to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is the God that we are talking about. Alright, we know. And, and this God, this Yahweh, He is on high. Meaning to say that He is up there in the heavens. He is seated on His throne. He is surrounded by the glorious angels and if we are allowed to years drop into what is going on in heaven right now, this is what you hear. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things and by your will they exist and are created. This is the God that is in view here in Psalm 138 and verse 6. But what else is Psalm 138 verse 6 saying? The God who is high and lifted up regards the lowly. Now the word regard in Hebrew is the same word as provide in Genesis chapter 22. And I'm sure you know what Genesis 32 is all about, isn't it? And that word, whether it is regard in Psalm 138 or provide in Genesis 22, the basic meaning is actually the word to see, S-E-E, -E, to see. In the mouth of the Lord, says Genesis 22, He will see. You say, what does that mean? It means whatever the needs may be on the top of Mount Moriah, God will see through it. And so here in Psalm 138, the message is that God will see to the needs, whatever they may be, of this lowly man. I'll come back to our text in 2 Kings chapter 6. Who is the lowly man? The man in verse 5 is going to put up his hand and say, It's me. <laughs> well, Yahweh, Yahweh on high take notice of me. Well, Psalm 138 says, Yes. Genesis uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 will echo and say, Most definitely. But 
But how is the man in 2 Kings chapter 6 lowly? First of all, look at the text. Realize that he's nameless. He is only known as one of the sons of the prophets. In fact, in, a, in the only verse that is dedicated to this man, he is known as one, O-N-E. It's verse 6. And that is in contrast, when we read in 2 Kings chapter 5, there is a servant of Elisha, and he has a name, is Gehazil. And that is in contrast to the rest of chapter 6, when we read of an enemy of Israel, and the enemy has a name, he's called Ben-Hadad. Here is this poor, unfortunate soul, this lowly seminary student, and he has no name. He is nameless. Okay, all right. If you insist, for the sake of the sermon this morning, let's call him Mr. Low, okay? I hope there's no Mr. Low here. Well, next consider the context. Turn one chapter back to 2 Kings chapter 5 if you can. And there we read of also an individual with a very desperate need. But that individual is no small fly. He is the general of the Syrian army. In fact, it is, it is known, it is, it is believed that if this general is not cured, it could potentially, potentially be a war-triggering incident between Israel and Syria. So what happened to Naaman, the Syrian general, has huge political ramifications. And from the end of our text in verse 7 today, if you read on to the rest of 2 Kings chapter 6, you will meet with kings and you will meet with soldiers, whereby one wrong move by this man, and lives could be lost or be plunged into utter misery. But yet sandwiched between these two huge international political events whereby foreign relations and national crisis are at stake, we have our seven verses. And in these seven verses, it's talking about a nameless man, a Mr. Low, <laughs> and who have lost his iron axe head. I mean, lost and found is found in, notice more about lost and found is found everywhere. What's the big deal? It's not going to provoke any international tensions. It's not going to grab any news headlines. Yet, don't miss this. Yet, God regards him. Let that sink in. God is going to see to it that his supposedly trivial needs are going to be looked into. Our text didn't elaborate. But is it vain speculation to say that our dear Mr. Low is going to walk home that day from the forest with his, with his restore ex-hate, walking and leaping and praising God. You know that song? Am I like this lowly man? You ask yourself right now. Am I nameless, but at least nationally, 
or internationally, like this man. Well then, our text of 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1 to 7 is telling you this message right now. God cares for you, the lowly person. Yes, he does. Most definitely. The urgent question that needs to be asked and needs to be answered this morning is, what can we learn about God from these seven verses? Well, at least three things. Number two, He cares for lowly me with real needs. Please fix your eyes firmly on 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 5. What happened? Well, what happened was that Mr. Lowly was trying to be helpful, right? I mean, we know that there is this school of prophets, call it a seminary if you like, and it was getting a bit small. <laughs> which means to say that the enrollment numbers have gone up, which in itself is a very encouraging fact, isn't it? Because not long ago, Elisha's Sifu, what is his name? Alright, thank you. Elijah! Well, he claimed that he and he alone was the only one left in Israel that worshipped Yahweh. But now some years later, you have a seminary. <laughs> and it's a seminary that is faithful to Yahweh. And a seminary faithful to Yahweh, they need to expand its premises. Wow! Because they need to cater to the increasing numbers of students. Can you hear the shouts of hallelujah from the faithful in Israel right now? Hear it! So here is the plan, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We need to increase our seminary. It's a great plan, right? Whose job is it? I am only a seminary student. I'm not a builder, and I'm not a chopper. <laughs> Shouldn't I just focus on my studies and stay with my core strength? Why so kekia? Why so entu? Ah? Why go and volunteer? Shouldn't I know my limits? And the truth is, I don't even have a wood cutting instrument, right? Which is why I have to borrow it, right? Isn't it a sign from God that I shouldn't get involved in this work? <laughs> why must I go and borrow the axe? and then go and do the chopping and then now see now what happened I see the text doesn't tell us what goes on in the mind of this lowly man it's only seven verses but maybe you should ask yourself if you are Mr. Low what would you be saying in verse 5 maybe it's after verse 5 I would be asking three whys and I'll be shouting up my fourth why. Why me? Why now? And why this? Why me? Why not him? Why not him? Why not him? Why me? Why target me? Why? Why now? I'm only trying to help, right? I'm trying to serve God, right? Is this my reward? Why this? <laughs> oh, 
I mean, I'm okay if it's my head that is in the water, you know, it's okay if my back is in the water, it's very painful, but you know, it's still mine. Why this X head? I borrow it. I need to return it in good condition and I can't repair it. Why this? And my fourth why is not a question, it's just a shout. So why bother? I give up. I'm sure you are thankful that I'm not Mr. Low. Because our Mr. Low in verse 5 did not ask any of these questions. Instead, he responded with a SOS. Oh no! That axe doesn't belong to me! I need to return it! <laughs> what should I do now, Master? Help! You know, in all the words that he say, the word master is most important, it's critical. Why? Because master is referring to Elisha. And who is Elisha? Verse 6, he is known as the man of God. In other words, this man, at the end of the day, he was crying out not just to Elisha, he was crying out to God, please help me. Would you? Or would you think that God is actually kind of busy? I mean, he's the, he's the king of the universe. He, you know, Ukraine gets, gets his attention and Saudi Arabia and North Korea <laughs> and COVID. I mean, God, God is very busy, you know. How can I and how should I... Why should I trouble him with such a small little matter called my iron head? Did you think... And did I say that it is a small matter? I think most of us in Singapore would think it's a small matter, right? If he's in, I wouldn't say if he's in Providence Church, if he's in Shalom Church, this is what we will say to him. Hello, Mr. Law, why are you making such a big fuss? Oh, bestie! You drop your iron axe head, right? It went into the Jordan, right? It sank to the bottom of the river, right? No worries, besties. Use your app, lah. You can get a replacement online. It will be delivered to your home by tomorrow. And then you can return it to your friend the next day. Easy peasy. Why you get so all fresh up? Chill, man. If we think like that, that's because we don't get it, right? Because life in 2 Kings 6 is not as easy and as convenient as life in 2 Kings 6. Or, uh, to, uh, uh, as life in uh, uh, Singapore 2023. If this man can easily get a replacement, he wouldn't have borrowed it in the first place. The fact is he can't afford to own an iron axe, which is a rare commodity in those days. It's not in our day, but it was a very rare thing in those days. So it costs a lot to own something like this. He can't afford it. That is why he had to borrow it. And that is why he's so anxious now that he has lost it. It's like you trying to be very kind to go and fetch your your camp speaker from Changi Airport, but your car is in the workshop, so you can borrow a Tesla from your friend. And then you crash it. Tesla, you know. 
Can you repay it? I can't. So how? He is staring at a huge debt that he could not repay. And therefore he is thinking of the possibility of withdrawing from the seminary and becoming a slave in someone's home to work maybe for the next 10 years in order to earn enough money to repay this debt. To many people, the needs of this lowly man is very small and very trivial. But to him, to him, remember that, it is a real need. It is a crisis he can't handle. It is a big problem that he has no solutions. We sometimes don't get it. Have you ever been there, dear believers? Have you ever been in a situation where you face a problem, nobody understands, they all think, oh, it's just a small thing, but to you it's so huge, you have no answer. What is 2 Kings 6, 1-7 saying to you this morning? He's saying to you, God cares for you, lowly you, who have real needs. And what must you do? What would you do what Mr. Lowe did in verse 5? You cry out for help. Did God fail him? Not one bit. But just don't prescribe to God how God will help you. I mean, I mean God, God could move the heart of the owner, right? So that the owner would say to his friend, Ayah, never mind, la, don't worry, la. lost, lost. La. Anyway, you're serving God, right? He could have done that, right? God could have moved the heart of the owner to say that. Or God could have made this lowly man in his misery as he walked around the forest stumble on a box of gold bars, right? And then that would be more than enough to repay the iron, to repay the man for his uh, iron axe head, right? God could have done that, but he didn't. In our text, God performed a miracle. He caused the iron axe head to float from the bottom of the river so that Mr. Law can stretch out his hand and retrieve it and subsequently return it. I'm reminded of what my, conf my confession says, which I'm sure is what your confession says. God in his ordinary providence makes use of means and yet is free to work without, above and against them at his pleasure. So God, our high and exalted Yahweh, is free to work his pleasure. What you and I need to do is to cry out to him for help. Don't prescribe to him how he should help you. Just cry out to him for help. Why should I do that? Because he cares for the lowly man with real needs. The urgent question that needs to be asked this morning is what can we learn about God from these seven verses? At least the following three things. Number three, He cares for lowly me with real needs long before it all happened. Come back to verse 5. I say to you that in verse 5 the word master is, is crucial. But now look to verse 6 and verse 7. And here we have the master. Who is he? He's Elisha. What can we know about him? He's the man of God. And we have this master responding to the situation. And I'm sure you will agree with me that Elisha's presence 
was crucial to this entire episode. Imagine if he was not present there and then. What would have happened next? Who could and who would be able to help this lowly man in his huge crisis? But why was Elisha there? I mean, he was a professor in a seminary, right? Maybe he was the president of the seminary. Do you expect the president of the seminary to be foul uh, with the rest of the people chopping wood? Come on, get real. He got a thousand and one things to, to, to deal with. And yet he was there because someone, we don't even know who is that someone, in verse 3, a different person, right? Asked if Elisha would go with them. And Elisha in verse 3 said, Yes, I will go with you. What moved that person to make that request? And what prompted Elisha to say yes? Elisha is a very busy man, you know. He had many things to attend to, you know. Why would he say yes to the request of this man? Why? I can only give you one answer, but I'm very sure almost all of you will agree with my answer. God moved that man to ask and God moved Elisha to say yes. Why? Because God knew what's going to happen at the river. In other words, long before they were at the scene, long before they start chopping, long before the iron axe head fell into the river, God was already there making all the preparations. He was putting everything in place to meet the needs of this lowly man. Of course, there will be the difficult, pricky ones in our midst who will retort, if God knew this, all this before it happened, why didn't God stop it? <laughs> well, all difficult, pricky ones, I will not defend God. I leave you to talk to God about it, right? All I want to say to you this morning is this. If that situation didn't happen, then that Mr. Low and all these Mr. Lows this morning would not have learned this precious truth that he cares for lowly me with real needs long before it all happened. So we'll learn three doctrines, three truths about God from our seven verses. God cares for lowly me. God cares for lowly me with real needs. God cares for lowly me with real needs long before it all happened. And from doctrine, we should next learn reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Am I right? So the next question I want to ask is, so how should I respond to such a God? I'll start with a Christian song. Our God is far greater than words can make known. Exalted and holy, He reigns on His throne. In infinite splendor, He rules over all, yet He feeds the poor sparrows, and He knows when they fall. He rides the wild heavens, He strides through the seas. The high mountains tremble to hear his decree. 
his voice with great thundering sounds from above, but to his own children, he whispers his love. His power is great and will ever endure. His wisdom is peaceable, gentle, and pure. But greater than all these glories I see is the glorious promise. He cares for me. What is my purpose in quoting this Christian song? What, what are songs for? They are for singing. When do we sing? as part of worship. And that is my purpose why I'm quoting you this song, because I'm calling you to worship. And very often we always demand that the sermons must have application. Tell me what to do. Uh, my answer is, there's nothing for you to do. Just bow and worship your God. Maybe that's what you need. You don't need 10 things to do to know what to do. You need one thing, bow your knees and worship this God. Take your time to adore this God, this high and lifted up almighty God who, who bothers to see to all your needs, even trivial ones. What shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits that he has given unto me? Oh, I'm going to take up the cup of salvation and I'm going to call upon the name of God. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Christian people, the first thing we must do once again is to worship your God. And as you worship this God, may your worship lead you into being joyfully confident in Him. Another word for joyfully confident is to, is to say, trust Him and trust Him cheerfully. If you can worship this God, you can have confidence in Him. And once you grasp what God is doing and who God is, you can have confidence in this God joyfully. If God would regard that lowly man, then He would regard this lowly man. If something as small and as trivial as an axe head was not despised by God, if God did not ignore him in his needs, then nothing is too small and nothing is too trivial in my life that God is going to be indifferent to. And isn't that the reason for the call of the Apostle Peter in the New Testament? He, he tells us, we all know this verse, rememorize it, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. What? All your care. How? Cast them. Who? Upon him. Why? He cares for you. Now what? Now worship Him. Why do you think Peter is calling us to cast our cares upon Him? It's so that we may worship this God. Is the sermon over? Almost. Not yet. Because I've called you at the beginning of the sermon, to read this passage in a God-centered way. I'm going to end the sermon this morning, give me just about five minutes, to call you to read this passage in a Christ-centered way. You ask me, how can this be done? Well, why don't you read those seven verses again? And do you see in the seven verses how God acted through His servant Elisha to save this lowly man from a life of debt and slavery? 
It was an act of redemption from real but potential debt. And one day God is going to act again. And this time through his servant and his son, Jesus Christ, he's going to save lowly creatures like you and I from our real and actual debt of sin. And this God expressed his love for you and me by sending his son to die on the cross. Friends, have you believed in this Christ? And this God manifested his power for us by raising Christ from the grave. I don't see any analogy between the exit floating and Christ raising. I don't see that. But I wanted to remind you that the power of God raised Christ from the grave. And he did all this when? While we were yet sinners. While we were still sinners. For many of us, while we were not yet born, Christ died and rose for us. Dear Christians, do you see how God cares for you? And so as you go forth in the new week, would you not remind yourselves with the logic of the Apostle Paul? If God did not spare his own son, but freely give him up for my sins, to deal with my greatest need, would he not also with Christ freely give us all things that is needed to deal with all my small and trivial needs, which if I can't trust God, ultimately I'm going to deny Him. So dear Christians, see how God cares for you as He raised Christ from the dead. And if God can do that, and if God has done that, friends, don't laugh at my sermon this morning with unbelief. How can God handle that problem I have? I want to ask you as I end, is anything too hard for Yahweh? Dear children of God, look to the cross. Look firmly. Look clearly. And look continuously. And as you look, worship your God. And as you look, have joyful confidence in this God. This is the word of God for you this morning.